So as Jason said, we're in chapter 15 of Matthew, and um, when uh, we're just going through this, and whoever comes up next, you know, we just follow in behind the last guy. And um, I found out I had chapter 15. I said, well, 15, that's easy. I can just blow through the whole chapter. And then found out as I got into the Word that the first 20 verses as far as we're going to get today. So uh, for you children, the Canaanite woman's coming up. She'll be next week uh, in the feeding of the 4,000. So I'll go ahead and read. Uh, it's 15, 1 through 20, and then we'll talk about that. <clears throat> so as the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And I said, wash, yes, that's where I come from. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you, brother. He answered them, and why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles against our mother or father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. But let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Just to kind of back up a little bit, um, you know, we've, we've seen in chapter 14, and, and Jason kind of went over that, um, the fact that, you know, John the Baptist loses his head, literally. You know, we feed 5,000 people. Jesus walks on the water. And the very last thing is Jesus heals the sick uh, in the last, of, in uh, 34 through 36. So they crossed over to Genesaret, and then the minute that place recognized him, they sent around all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. So we jump right from Jesus healing a bunch of people to the confrontation with the Pharisees that have come to see him. And, and a little aside about uh, Sunday school, um, I remember lessons when I was in grade school from Bob Stone. Uh, Bob Stone. I went to Smith Chapel Methodist Church down the road. I still remember lessons he taught me. 
The only the only regret that I have is he never got to see the fruit of that seed that he planted because I didn't come to Christ until later. But that's how important those things are when we share with children uh, the gospel and, and about God because you don't know that seed you planted in that little child when that's going to take fruit take root. So you know just just remember that that how important these children are to us. So in this passage with Matthew, we see Jesus is addressing three different groups. He's talking to the Pharisees, the people, and the disciples. So first, there's a challenge by the Pharisees and the response by Jesus in 1 through 9. So you look at the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained for me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines and the commandments of men. So we have this in we have this in the first nine verses. Then Jesus turns to teach the crowd on the real source of uncleanliness. Third, the disciples ask about offending the Pharisees, and Jesus answered them with a parable that then had to be explained. In effect, the Pharisees raise the question, Jesus answers them, explains his answer to the crowds, and then explains his dealings with the Pharisees to the disciples. One occasion, Jesus has three separate audiences to address with separate issues. It's important to learn about the tradition of the elders on the subject of washing or purifying hands. So the Mishnah, if you care to Google that or look that up, but the Mishnah was the oral traditions of the, uh, the Jewish leaders that had been handed down, um, but they were, not, they were not biblical. They were just traditions of man. Uh, they weren't even written down till about 200 A.D., so this is all just oral tradition. So that's really what the Pharisees are talking about here. So um, it was considered law, had become considered as law, even though it was outside of the Levitical law given by God and was based on man's traditions. And when he talks about taking the money that you should use to take care of your parents... Uh, there was, uh, in, the, in the tradition as well, there was called a korban. And it was an offering that was set aside for the temple, and, but it was being used by some people in that day to shirk their responsibility to care for their parents, which is biblical, that we care for our parents. And then in Isaiah twenty nine thirteen, Jesus quotes this verse from the Old Testament to point out the hypocrisy of the present-day Pharisees. So Isaiah is talking to the people of his time about, you know, you you praise me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. Jesus is saying, you guys are the same. It's the same today. So the guys that bring the accusation are from Jerusalem. Um, so they were the best trained and highly respected teachers in the land. And depending on exactly where he's at here, um, it's about 60 miles away that they travel. So they're far away from home. But if you notice what they do, they're attacked came because of the activities of the disciples. 
If you look at Luke eleven thirty seven through forty one, if you flip over there. Luke eleven thirty seven. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Then he goes on, but woe to you, Pharisees. So, um, so basically, when they come up, about the worst thing they can really say is, "Hey, your disciples didn't wash their hands," you know, um, Jesus. So, really, it's it's a pretty silly thing to uh, to throw out there, but it's it's a really good teaching point for Jesus at this point. So the whole section in in Matthew, and I want to talk about a little bit in Luke or Mark rather, but the whole section in Matthew is a little bit abbreviated in the same stories in Mark because Matthew is a Jew writing to Jewish people, so they understand all these traditions and all these things and the mission of it that we're talking about. Um, so he doesn't list them all. But if you look at Mark seven one through three, real quick. <clears throat> Because Mark's writing to a different audience. These are people that are not Jews that he's writing to primarily. So he needs to explain a little bit more of what we're talking about. So when the Pharisees gathered to him and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches and so forth and so on. So so this whole idea of ritual is basically a ritual washing. It wasn't, it wasn't hygienic. It was a ritual type of thing that he was talking about. So the point of their accusations telling, Jesus and his disciples had violated the traditions of the elders, or as Mark says, the tradition of men, as if those traditions were now authoritative and could be sinned against. These traditions were still oral in Jesus' days, written down a couple centuries later, like I said, about 200 A.D., they actually wrote them down. The tradition about washing would be found in, in, in part of the Mishnah. Is they have tractates in there, just a word, um, Yadahim, or hands. And what this means is that the traditions of men had been elevated to the status of Scripture so that you could be guilty of violating them. So I think that's that's a real important point that, you know, we we can violate God's Word, but we can't, man's Word is not binding spiritually to us. Same problem exists today in many churches. We have biblical views and traditions, and to violate them means criticism or expulsion from the group. Some of these views are what I call extra-biblical, not what the Bible teaches. So Jesus' reply, which I find interesting, is more of a counterattack, really, uh, 
than a reply to their question. He first accuses them of breaking the commands of God in order to keep their traditions. This puts the issue back to them. They were the sinners, not Jesus and his disciples, because they had broken God's commands and not just some teachings of the elders. To press his point, he reminds them of their tradition of getting around the law of God. They would pronounce a vow on their things with the word korban, meaning it's a gift. The word korban is based on the word in Leviticus for bringing something near to God. If because of greed, for example, a man did not want to help support his aging parents, he would announce korban. And that would mean that the money was frozen and could not be used for taking care of his parents or taking care of them. Um, then they, the, the, therefore, they used their traditions to get out of taking care of their father and mother, which the law required. And then they'd find a way of nullifying the vow so that they ended up keeping the money. It was a clever tradition of swearing to take oaths that had grown up as a way around a clear-cut teaching of the Word of God. This, Jesus says, is hypocritical, and thus they fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. And that's the first place that Jesus calls them hypocrites when he quotes Isaiah 29.13, which was, as I said, addressed to Isaiah's people at his time. But by quoting it, Jesus was saying that this generation was doing the same thing as Isaiah's generation. And so the words are also addressed to this generation. In both contexts, Isaiah and Matthew, the people spoken to are Jews from Jerusalem who had a religion that was characterized by externals that often crowded out truth. The Jews in Jesus' day said all the right things, giving the impression they were pious, but their hearts and wills were not obedient at all. They had a religious facade, but not the reality that goes with it. Their teaching was in vain because there was nothing of God's authority behind them. The point's clear. Jesus was saying to his audience what Isaiah said to his, that their worship was vain because they were far from God in their hearts. Then Jesus turns to the crowd, and he explains to the crowd that what went into a man's mouth did not make him unclean, but what came forth. The Old Testament had a lot to say about clean and unclean. And uh, I went back and read through Leviticus. Uh, do that sometime. And you'll get, you'll get, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty clear, you know, what's clean, what's unclean. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's worth the read just to kind of remind yourself sometimes. The Old Testament, like I said, had a lot to say. Everything was classified as either clean or unclean. And what was unclean was not allowed in the temple. So defilements, diseases, sins, contaminations, discharges, and the like made a person unclean. The Pharisees were rigid in observing the laws of cleanliness as well as the Sabbath observances and ties. And in the process, they were so concerned with the outward observance of these defilements and and contacts with things unclean, they failed to realize that the real defilement is sin. Um, You know, they... They wanted to put the priestly uh, rules on the people because, you know, I don't, I don't want to be touching anything unclean, so I want you to do the same thing, which is not what God told them to do. Those rules, and most of that in Leviticus, is for the priests. So they had kind of added to what God had, had uh, ordained. Diseases, discharged defilements that made a person unclean were things of life that were the results of the presence of sin and death. To observe the outward rituals 
and missed the connection with sin was a waste of time. The real source of uncleanliness was the human heart. To harbor sin and wash hands with ritual washing was hypocritical. And this ritual washing is basically pour some cold water over your hands. It wasn't scrubbing up with, you know, Germex or anything. This was just a ritual type of thing that supposedly made them clean. In essence, then, the saying of Jesus agree with Mark's conclusion in his account that Jesus was saying all foods were clean. The ceremonial laws, including the dietary laws, were given to keep Israel distinct from the nations. But in the coming of the Messiah, the believers from all nations would be united with believing Israel in the new covenant. Jesus would address the real source of uncleanliness, which got to the heart of the matter. They were holding on to the externals and missing the real spirit of the law and the reason for the washing. Jesus turns to the disciples then and um, answers their question in 12 through 20. Uh, I like this. I like the way this starts out. So he says, um, the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Now, you got to stop and think about this a little bit. You know, the disciples are with him. You know, they're, they're starting to figure this thing out. Peter's already said, you know, you're, you are, you know, they've announced, hey, you are the son of God. But they're still a little worried about these Pharisee guys, you know, because these, these are the leaders of the people. And uh, so they come to Jesus and it's like, Okay, so these guys were offended by what you said, um, so we want to know, you know, what what you really meant here, Jesus. What do you really mean, Jesus? Did you really mean that? <clears throat> so he says a couple of things. He says, first, they're blind guides. The question of the disciples showed the Pharisees must have understood what Jesus said, and they had taken offense at it. The people held these teachers in high regard, so the disciples were worried that Jesus was too hard on them. They wanted to be exactly clear on what Jesus had said and meant that offended them. And Jesus wanted them to be clear on the unreliability of the Pharisees' teaching. The basic issue was their misunderstanding of the law. They dwelt on the external as a source of uncleanliness and did not realize the source of defilements was sin in the world, so uncleanliness originated in the human heart. In short, the human heart produced sin, and sin brought the curse. And the curse brought disease, defilement, and death. God gave rituals to deal with the defilements and the death as a way of reminding Israel of the fact that they were defiled by sin. Jesus often healed people as a way of showing that he could deal with the cause of the sickness as well as the results. So to answer the disciples, he used a couple of images. The first was that any plant that the Father had not planted would be rooted up The image comes from the Old Testament, again, that pictures true Israel, the covenant believers, as God's planting. And that's in Isaiah chapter 5. Jesus was not saying that false teaching would be rooted out, but false teachers. In other words, the Pharisees were not a part of God's planting. So they're going to be rooted up. The second image that he uses is that the teachers of Israel saw themselves as guides for the blind. But Jesus says... These leaders were blind themselves, and so blind leaders of the blind, and they would both fall into a pit. I was like that that mental image of, you know, stumbling around out there. 
don't worry, I've got this, I'll lead you. But wait, you can't see either. I don't think that's going to turn out too well. So the leaders were blind because they failed to understand the scriptures that they taught. We're talking about teaching, how important that is. But you need to understand what it is you're teaching. And since they were so weak in spiritual understanding, they also failed to perceive who Jesus was and failed to follow him. That is the ultimate spiritual blindness. Look at John 5, 39 and 40. John five thirty nine and 40. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So here we have the people that are the Pharisees that are the teachers of the law, which is all through scripture. And, you know, we've talked about this uncountable times. From the start to the finish, it's all about Jesus. It all points to Jesus. All the Old Testament points to Jesus. They had all of that, but still they missed it. The disciples have faith in Jesus, but are still weak in their understanding of all that Jesus taught. So Peter, who just was out on the water not too long ago, just a little while ago, asked the meaning of the parable mentioned in 11. Are you so dull, Jesus replies, meaning, are you still without understanding? And this question draws greater attention to their failure to understand. So Jesus explains in some detail what it is that defiles a person. When someone eats, what someone eats, goes in the mouth and is cast out. Actually, the Greek says latrine. So what goes through the body ends up in the toilet. All right? But Jesus is saying that the real issue is not what enters the mouth, but what comes out, because that comes from the heart. What are the products of the heart? Well, we listed some of those murder, anger, immorality. Um, Go look at the Ten Commandments. (laughs) You'll see those things. The point that Jesus is making that it's what a person actually is that brings defilement. The external laws of cleanliness and uncleanliness, if properly understood, will reflect the effects of sin in the world. And they were helpful for a devout Israelite to avoid the impurities as a way of following a life of purity. But as so often the case, it was easier to focus on the external rituals and forget the spiritual reality behind them. Jesus is teaching that true religion must deal with the true nature of men and women, not just the outer performances. The teachers would have known this if they had been concerned about inner purity. James chapter 3, James talks about the tongue, you know, and he goes into, you know, in the first 12 verses, 1 through 12, he talks about, you know, just how wicked the tongue is. And, you know, it ties right in what Jesus is saying. What's in our hearts comes out of our mouth. Uh, John Calvin once said, and I, I think I wrote down the mouth exists to reveal the heart. I think John Calvin actually said the tongue exists to reveal the heart. But uh, either way, you know, that's that's the true picture of who we are is what what we say. Jesus ends his teaching by saying that eating with unwashed hands does not make a man unclean. 
But what comes from the heart does. This is a radical departure from not only the traditions of the elders, but also the details of the law. Jesus has already made it clear that he has fulfilled the law, and therefore whatever the laws teach must be determined by their relationship to him. Not only had Jesus rejected the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as the authentic teachers of his day, but he had assumed that role for himself. He is the teacher. The conflict between what he was teaching and what the traditions of the Jews taught would come to a head later. But now that the Messiah has come and fulfilled the law, every detail of the law has to be seen in that way in the light of the fulfillment of the Old Testament in him. And that usually means that the external regulations of the law are no longer binding, but what is revealed, what it revealed about God and about his will are. After all, the spirit of the law was to develop righteousness. And Jesus, let's say that again, the spirit of the law was to develop righteousness. Jesus was more concerned about that people understand that to develop righteousness, they would have to be transformed in their hearts so they would produce righteousness and not uncleanliness. Washing hands, therefore, ceased to be a significant step in that direction when the heart was unclean. And the only way that people could be transformed in their hearts was to turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior and find forgiveness. But the Jewish teachers would have none of that. So the passage focuses on the main idea that spiritual uncleanliness is in the heart, the will, the mind, or whatever term is used for the spiritual. does not come from eating with unwashed hands. The keeping of external regulations was to have directed the faithful to focus on inner spirituality, but it did not. And so external ritual replaced inner spiritual reality. Jesus took this opportunity to teach that truth at the expense of the teacher's reputation. As far as he was concerned, they had failed in their task because they had misunderstood the scripture and they were useless as guides. They would be rooted out and destroyed. So one clear lesson for us is external rituals. So if people participate in church services and follow all the rituals perfectly, religiously, that may represent a heart of faith, but then again it may not. Unbelievers can have the appearance of being devout, but if there's not faith, the ritual will not help. Ritual without the reality of faith is worthless. It's more important for people to get their hearts right with God than to get the order of the ritual down and getting the heart right with God begins with faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Finding forgiveness and cleansing from God through him and following faithfully his teachings about the spiritual life. I'll stop. If you're, if you're a believer, you know, grow in your faith. Look at what we do. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you know, I, I pray that if he's, if he's knocking off the door of your heart, let him in. You don't know how many opportunities you're going to get. Um, you know, I might not make it out of the parking lot. I don't know. But there has to be a sense of urgency with us to share the gospel with the lost because it's it's a matter of heaven and hell. It's, it's eternity. True believers in Christ can at times go through ritual performances without it affecting the heart. I've been to church before and gone through the motions. I mean, I think we all can say we've done that at some time or other. 
God sees past the worship service or whatever other external routine is followed to the heart. And if the heart is not cleansed, our religious activities mean nothing to him. One particularly telling witness of uncleanliness in the heart goes back to the business of Corban. If people are trying to legitimize ways of not fulfilling their spiritual duties, then the heart needs cleansing. Before we come down too hard on the Pharisees for focusing on externals and the outer show, we need to think about ourselves. Week in, week out, do we spend more time getting the outer body ready for church than we do the heart? I think I'm guilty of that myself sometimes. It's like, okay... You know, oh, there's a verse, I'll read that. Okay, i got to go get take a shower and get ready for church, you know. Do we come with a heart of worship? Do we come wanting to fellowship and wanting to hear God's word every Sunday? Um, and I remember the days of little children and, and driving too fast, and they're like, why are you driving so fast to church? Because we're late again. I, didn't, I wasn't real worshipful when I got here. I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll admit to that. So try to get our hearts right before we start. Traditions can be helpful, but they have a way of crowding out the basic Christian standards. You do not have to look very far to see the attitude of the Pharisees appearing in churches today. So many traditions have grown up over the centuries that many of them have become sacred. We're more concerned that people might violate our man-made rules for the running of the church, the institutions of the baptism, communion, or the rules that our particular group follows in the name of holiness than we are about righteousness. We're more concerned about tradition than we are about meeting the needs of people in the community. If we're not careful, we might forget what the Word of God actually says about some of the things we do. Then when someone comes along who keeps tradition in its proper place, you do not sin against tradition, you sin against God and His Word. We're offended, if not outraged. But then we remember the teaching of Christ that God's more concerned with what we actually are than what our outward performance looks like. And I'm not saying, don't, don't, don't shoot the messenger yet. I'm not saying ritual and tradition should be shelved. I'm saying, however, they must stay in their proper place. When we look at what we do as a church, um, does it honor and glorify God? Does it further our relationship with him? Does it advance the gospel? And if it doesn't do those things, then we need to really consider whether or not we do them. Let's pray. Father God, I just humbly come before you. I thank you for your word, Lord. Um, Father, I just want to examine my own heart that, that I don't hold things dear that, that don't lift you up, Lord, that don't glorify you, Lord. Father, don't let the things that I do get in the way of sharing the gospel with the lost. Father, we just pray as a church that we would be about serving you, about uh, ministering to each other, and uh, Lord, that uh, we, you would be pleased with our worship. Father, everything that we do, let us filter it through the scriptures, um, that if it's not biblical, Lord, then we shouldn't do it. Lord, it needs to be all about you all the time in all things. And we just praise you, Lord, and we give you the honor and the glory forever and ever. Amen.